0: Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Paige McPherson's journey to Taekwondo champion has also been a journey to peace and one's identity. While McPherson, a Filipina and African-American descent, had support from her adopted parents, She grew up in a predominantly white conservative town in South Dakota, and she struggled to find her place. One of the ways she began to find herself and her confidence was through her introduction to Taekwondo. But once you have a path, you will still need to walk it. So how does someone achieve success in the ever-changing, uncontrollable environments we all live in? It's simple. You become who you need to be. You become someone else. And for McPherson, she simply became McPherson. Stick around after the story for my conversation with author Cynthia Oka as we talk about how the best way to find your true self is to sometimes not be yourself at all. Now we present Becoming McPhierce by Cynthia Oka.
1: Becoming McPhierce. They say I have an alter ego when I compete, says Olympic taekwondo medalist Paige McPherson. I'm yelling and screaming and kicking hard. I have yet to see McPherson, a.k.a. McPhierce, fight live. But i have watched her on screen with excitement over the past few years i had failed again and again to imagine an opponent my own size a girl of two earths lifted from the tumbling dark like a root a match with an end i've been chasing it since into a snow called south dakota this kick my chest where lonely crowned her, when I give it permission, my fighting hands like warm blooded petals. McPherson, who is of Filipino and African American descent, was born in 1990 in Abilene, Texas. She was adopted by a couple living in Sturgis, South Dakota. With five children from all over the world, McPherson's adoptive parents had created what their neighbors called a rainbow family. By the time Paige arrived, two of her older siblings had left the nest. She was raised with a younger African-American sister and an older Korean brother through whom she was introduced to Taekwondo. In Sturgis, about 94% of the town's 6,700 residents are white, according to the most recent U.S. Census Bureau report. As a young girl of color when McPherson's early memories is of a white neighbor threatening to shoot her and her sister because they had walked across his yard. At home, though, she felt adored and affirmed for who she was. We were all individuals brought together by loving parents, she says. I've talked to my biological brother and sister, and they've had very different lives with not as many possibilities from our birth parents. I know I've been able to do the things I've done because I was adopted and I'm grateful for that. I wonder if McPherson's McPherson's alter ego was born out of that dialectic between what she experienced inside and outside her family's home. Did she, like me, have to build different versions of herself for different spaces to survive, to do more than survive? In 1996, when I was 10, My family immigrated from Indonesia to Canada. Shortly after we landed in Vancouver, British Columbia, my parents began to rely on me to help them navigate our new environment. I became responsible for helping them find jobs, for interpreting for them and translating documents, for shielding my younger sister from their growing frustrations as they realized our new life was not what they had hoped or imagined it would be. My parents had decided to leave Indonesia in part because of the discrimination we face as Chinese Indonesians, a phenomenon that has taken many forms, including laws that bar Chinese Indonesians from specific professions and from practicing our cultural traditions, to assimilationist policies that urged us to change our names to sound more Indonesian, to scapegoating in times of turmoil. For example... Ethnic Chinese were one of the groups targeted in the mass killings of 1965-66 to in Indonesia, which left an estimated 1 million dead, and then again in the mass riots of 1998, during which hundreds of Chinese Indonesian women were gang-raped. In Canada, an explicit multicultural policy was in place, and the racism was more subtle. For instance, no one was willing to give my dad, who was a dentist in Indonesia, a job in the town where we lived. My first year in Richmond, which is neighbor to Vancouver and has a large immigrant population, I was bullied by white kids for being a weirdo and by Chinese kids for not being really Chinese. Without an established Indonesian diaspora or support system, my parents found it difficult to rebuild a stable life for us. The more I learned to function in Canadian society, the more insecure, fearful, and angry my parents became. I felt as if I could do nothing but disappoint them. Soon, neither outside nor inside our home felt safe for me, and over the years, to protect myself, I began to cultivate alter egos for the spaces I had to inhabit. At home, I was the secret keeper. Everywhere else, I was a tough girl. I remember my parents taking my sister and me to see Mulan in a theater in the summer of 1998. The Disney classic is based on the Chinese legend of Hua Mulan, a woman warrior who took her crippled father's place in the army to save his life. My own father died in 2003 after a dogged but brief battle with cancer. And I am to this day haunted by the image of Mulan standing in her father's armor just hours after she had tried and failed to present herself as a prospective bride. She too felt out of place inside and outside her home. She too created an alter ego, Ping, the awkward, bumbling soldier who eventually became a hero, to make a path for herself where only closed rooms had existed. I wanted to freeze that frame and tell my parents, Look, that is me. I'm trying to be anything that will make you love me again. I don't know that I've ever stopped using these alter egos if they're at this point me and I them. I do know that keeping them has something to do with my fear of being seen, or rather of the consequences of being seen. Speaking with McPherson, I was reminded of love as an elemental and a practical condition for an individual's capacity to emerge, to say yes to herself, even in hostile circumstances. She faces the snow's fear in the chain of cooled eruptions of black dahlias below the equator, my home holding her sister's hand where mass graves continue to be harvested, where she crosses the holiness of whom and what I love is a wish, a line in the grass. I imagine McPherson at 18, alone on a one-way flight to Miami, where she had decided to train so she could have a shot at competing in the Olympics. How scary it must have been to leave the family that had kept her safe in the heart of a country where girls of color have been neglected, marginalized, and endangered with impunity for centuries. How determined she must have been to discover who she could be, to invite the world to witness her at her best. As a non-athlete, I often forget how intensely they have to prepare, physically, mentally, spiritually, for the extremely fleeting moments when we get to see them perform. Combined, training and recovery easily make up a full-time job, and in a niche and expensive sport like taekwondo, many medalists still have to maintain other jobs for their livelihoods. These days, McPherson is one of a small, elite group of taekwondo athletes who can make a living from their stipends, a difference that can be determined by what McPherson describes as a six-minute fight. A welterweight, McPherson has represented the U.S. twice in the Olympics, winning a bronze medal at the 2012 London Games. In the lead-up to the 2016 Rio Games, she won gold in the Pan-American Games and Pan-American Championships. No question, her accomplishments have been impressive. But it is her sense of accountability to her own vision that gives me pause. Certain tournaments are live or die, she says. It could change your life, or all that work is for nothing. And no one wants to know the story of the person that didn't make it. That's what you have to accept, that you're going to give it your all, regardless of the results. It has to be about you and your goals. This is neither hypothetical nor an exaggeration for her. After all the hype and anticipation, McPherson was defeated in her first fight in Rio. It was a really hard loss, she shares. Honestly, in my opinion, I did everything I could to put myself in a position to win the gold. I did literally everything my coach told me to do. I stomped on the barricades. You do not stop being afraid, she promises. Lick the blood from my knuckles, Miami salt, placed my love in the crow of strangers, burning her voice. I have been bowed, my fighting hands, preparing for the perfect day turned to paper that never arrives. To give one's all is both to surrender and to claim complete responsibility for actions that have outcomes one cannot possibly determine. It is pure hope. In this moment, attention is being directed to the creation of safe spaces for girls and women that I believe are both critical and long overdue. But I am also thinking about the need for spaces to foment our capacity to project ourselves into the future the way stars send their light to us from eons past. Spaces that invite us to risk everything about who we are to discover who we could become. And loss might be an inevitable part of that discovery. I imagine there was probably a moment after Rio when McPherson just wanted to crawl into a hole and quit. In the lead up for that competition she had set aside her own self-knowledge to try other methods of preparation. There is a specific portrait of athletes. Oh, they're so confident and fearless and if you're not that then what are you? she says with a laugh. But I'm a warrior. I don't like to look at who I'm about to fight because if I think about them I get distracted. Leading up to the Olympics, we started studying specific people and I wasn't comfortable with it, but I thought I needed to do it to win. When I lost, I was really mad at myself for not listening to my gut. Somewhere north, rain notching, scores on the oaks tough jacket. The way Paige says warrior, it sounds like gold, warrior, and elusive, pressed, mineral. Paige in my ear is... Of every dark page the firewood left of our fathers. I don't believe there is a math for realizing our fullest selves. History, privilege, training, preparation, talent, time, experience, and even more factors are at play in constant shifting interactions. But I do believe there are more or less useful stories for specific moments in our lives that can guide our efforts. I used to think it was enough to have my masks and my alter egos to mitigate and control as much as I could Western society's racist, sexist imaginations of me as a Southeast Asian woman. For instance, that I will be submissive, that I will be obedient, that I will not fight back. My alter egos, by requiring me to live up to their ideals, have helped me to discover what I am capable of. But they are also my harshest critics. They question every decision, every step I make toward change. I'll be 33 this year and I am still learning to believe that just because there are many parts of my identity that have not been wanted by the cultural, political, familial context I've been a part of, It does not mean I am disposable. That I have the right not just to survive, but to participate in the making of the world. That my faults might be the midwives of a fresh vision for that world. This is a lesson that Mulan learned by the end of the film, and it is an acceptance I also hear in McPherson's reflection about how she would advise a less experienced fighter. We train and train to be perfect for a fight, but I've never had a perfect day. Whenever I've won, I was always off in something, but I learned to adapt to find another way. I am thinking of the girls and women of color in my life who daily put on our armors to face the world. And how deeply conscious we are of the spots where the chain mail has been battered over and over, is being held in place by super glue, or is simply missing because some losses cannot be undone. What is our tipping point for deciding to trust ourselves? Can we, like McPherson, see and accept and use what we have? however faulty, fractured, or, as I would prefer to put it, futuristic, to make other ways, even if, or perhaps especially because, we feel like no one is coming. I am trying, out of the blood of rainbows, to love the blocks and jabs, rises taken from me, beheaded flowers, Olympian whose defiance made me whole. America rejects tragedy, but the comeback is one of its favorite alter egos. Our icons fall from grace, then rise from the ashes. Ordinary people are failed by the system, yet overcome their plights. This is a myth we all participate in constructing, especially about our athletes. In 2017, McPherson won the silver medal at the World Taekwondo Championships. Yet the real victory for me here seems not the medal, but the scream. As McPherson put it, when a girl is screaming, we are letting go of other people's judgments. We scream because we are in our power. We are in our truest form.
0: Joining me now is author Cynthia Oka. Cynthia, thank you for taking the time.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So this was a very, a very powerful piece, Cynthia. A very unique way to capture this story. And Thank uh, you. you're welcome. And there's so many different parts of it that I want to ask you about. One, the first one is, uh, um, Paige's life in South Dakota, where, like in her own words, like there seemed like there was a life of, like you know, there was love and support. When she said, "I know." I've been able to do the things I've done because I was adopted, and I'm grateful for that. And I know you mentioned her discussions with her biological siblings. How did she actually come into the situation that she's in? Like, how did she become adopted and then move to Sturgis, South Dakota?
2: My understanding is, based on my conversation with Paige, is that she was adopted very early. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically after she was born, her parents at the time who felt that they couldn't, they were not prepared to give her the kind of life that they would have wanted. They put her up for adoption and she was adopted by this couple who were living in Sturgis, South Dakota. And it was a family that had intentionally adopted children from all across the world. So they had uh, a child from South Korea, I believe they had um, a couple of uh, children that they had adopted from um, indigenous tribes in the United States. And she also had a younger sister who was African-American that the family had adopted. So it was a very multicultural family.
0: Now, I know you, you talked about, you know, the whole thing, becoming Macphierce and like this alter ego. And you've spoken of your own experiences with that and sort of being a little somebody else. Is there a power or is there a surrender in becoming somebody else to survive?
2: Wow, that's such a great question. I think there's both. I think that the power comes from putting on a mask and being able to access spaces and to kind of hold yourself in spaces that you otherwise may not be able to access. Mm -hmm. I think that for me... When we first migrated to Canada, for example, there was no one like me. There was no one who even spoke my language, and I had to teach myself English uh, because there, there was no one else to speak it with me, mm-hmm. to speak my language with me. And I think putting on a persona allowed me to have, it was like a costume. It was like you dress for the job that you want, right. if that makes sense. No, right? that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. And then on the other hand, there is a surrender that is required because we don't get to be ourselves all the time. And I think that's why, you know, I the, the scream becomes so important um, in this particular essay, because it's like the way that I think about it, it's like a leakage, you mm-hmm. know, it's like a slippage of the essence of Paige right. through this kind of McFierce persona that she has.
0: And so what are so then? With with your experiences, what you saw with Paige, like, what do you feel like are the benefits and the negatives of having sort of an alter ego?
2: The benefits, I think, is the benefits is becoming legible for me. Mm-hmm. I think it is becoming a person that other people, particularly if you are entering spaces in society that where you are traditionally or historically have been excluded from, it offers a way for people to read you, mm-hmm. to place you somewhere, right? Right. So I think that's the benefit of that. And the downside, you know, of it is I think it can be constraining because we don't always get to show up as our whole selves.
0: Now, also, when you when you were uh, describing this so well, uh, you used the word survive, and that kind of jumped out for me. Because it seems like a very non-gray area word, very primal. Like, when you're in those moments when you feel like there's nothing, like, as you said, like, I had to teach myself English. Or, you know, you have uh, Paige McPherson living in a predominantly conservative white community. Is this, um, is that survival? Is it something that just, the reason why you say the word survive is because it's something that just overwhelms you, like, at every moment?
2: I think... Yes, I think there's definitely an element of, how do I say this? There's an intensity mm-hmm. that attends some of those experiences that I feel like the word survival is the most befitting, if that makes sense. No, it, uh, for it, does. Example, it, I mean, it does. Yeah, so I mean, for example, like, I mean, one of the early, her earliest memories was of, of a neighbor, a white neighbor, threatening to shoot her and her sister. You know, that's like a real life and death.
3: Right.
2: I think for for me, it really landed for me what my parents were trying to do and why they put us into what appeared to me when I was, you know, when I was 10, it seemed like crazy. Why are we going to a town where we have like no one? Right. And when the events of 1998 happened and there was so much violence perpetrated on Chinese Indonesian communities in, in Indonesia, I finally understood what my parents were trying to do. And I think also as immigrants, you know, we really struggled with poverty, with underemployment. My own father passed away uh, seven years after, and he had spent, you know, the better part of those seven years looking for work because Mm -hmm. no one would hire him. Um, So it felt like every day was a struggle to show up and to find access to like a, a way to live. And I think as well as like being, you know, women of color and being Asian women in particular who are, I mean, I I want to be honest about this. I mean, sure. there's an an, an aspect of our experience where we are deeply sexualized mm-hmm. in Western society, deeply objectified. And I think for me, anyway, speaking for myself, there was a lot of experiences in my younger years before I learned to fight back. Um, where physical, bodily, and sexual threats, mm-hmm. particularly from male members of society, was a constant experience. So it really felt like you had to fight all the time. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No,
0: it does. I mean, that's, it just—I was—I was looking to find the more the background, the gravity associated with the word survive, and I think you yeah. explained that pretty well. And how important. Um, with all this, just like thinking like, as we said earlier, being someone else or an alter ego, how important that is to achieving your eventual, like your true self, meaning like, I, mean, I know you mentioned Mulan, like almost in another dis- like, in a very different way, another Disney movie, you know, how Dumbo thought he needed the feather to fly, but when, of course he eventually realized, no, I didn't. Like how long does it take for all these alter egos in these situations of survival like until you realize who you can really be and who you are?
2: You know, I am still figuring that out every day. (laughs) I think right now, I think for a long time, I thought there was a clear line between putting on your alter ego and sort of like this idea of the true self, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And as, as I grow older, I think I, be, I am beginning to realize that a lot of who we are is a negotiation <laughs> between, yeah, it's a negotiation between all of these different alter egos, because I think many of us have more than one. Sure. Um, And, and there is kind of like a more political language right now for it in terms of intersectionality. I don't think they're necessarily... They necessarily map on all the way to each other. I feel like the alter ego is much is, is a more psychological construct. Sure. You but, know.
0: Yeah, but all of us, um, all of us, at, at some point, have a little split personality disorder here and there,
2: when, right? When the case exactly. arises, and I feel like it's a debate, you know, between whatever can't fit inside of the, the, the various alter egos mm-hmm. and the alter egos and that might be my true self at any given moment. It's like who wins that debate that day. Right. Like your
0: <laughs> so basically your your true self is basically housed in a kaleidoscope that just keeps spinning. Like you gotta you yeah. never like who knows which version you're gonna get, but I'm gonna determine which version you get.
2: Exactly. I don't think it's like a one homogeneous, stable thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's something we're constantly reinventing, um, and it's always in conversation with these all of these different versions of ourselves that are out there, that have to be out there right now, because we don't yet have a world where everyone feels safe and included, et cetera.
0: Right. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is based, I mean, your experiences in Canada, and what you okay. learned at the time that you shared with Paige McPherson, when it comes to adapting to a new strange world where not just a new strange world, but a world where you feel like you're the only stranger there, like what message would you give? Like what are people, I mean, there's even people that are empathetic can stop and look and say like, Oh, well this must be difficult. There's a language barrier. There's this uh things that people can all pick out and sort of make a list on their own from just observing but what message would you give to people to further understand this that like what are we missing that we don't understand that's going on in these situations for people that have to adapt to a situation like this?
2: You know honestly the first thing that jumped to mind when you were saying what would you say I would say read.
0: Mhm.
2: Um I think reading saved my life. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean that is how I taught myself language, but it was also for me an introduction because I think when we get dropped into a particular sort of um, microcosm of society, whether it's it's like a locality, it's a town, it's a borough, whatever, Mm -hmm. it's a very specific and not necessarily representative, right, Mm -hmm. part of the larger public that we are trying to join or be a part of. Right. So I think for me, reading really widely and, like, struggling with it, you know, I would sit for just hours with um, two dictionaries um, for days and months on end uh, when we first arrived. It was really important because it introduced me to a much wider range of humanity and of people in this, like, sort of, new world that I was entering so mm-hmm. that when I felt like there was no way there was no room for me in this place mm-hmm. it didn't mean that there wasn't room for me at all
0: that's a good if point that
2: makes sense no that makes sense yeah.
0: but also then from the, on the other side of that what would you say to, to to people that um that of the community you're entering like what would you want them to know about like as I was saying like there's things that the people could see, like, oh, it must be tough for a Cynthia or a Paige to do this or that, but what is it that they, like, What like, what is deeper that they probably can't see that's not skin deep that they could, that you would say to a situation like that? The
2: situation, I would say, I would say it's okay to not understand, mm-hmm. actually. I would say that it's okay, I think that um I think there's a habit and ex- expectation amongst western citizens mm-hmm. western people to sure. to know all the things. Right. You know, it's like if we know it then like that is a prerequisite for something being, you know, um a part of our world is that we have to know it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that I think there is a migrant a perspective, a migrant sort of orientation that can be really useful for our society, which is that you don't you don't need to know everything about the other
3: mm-hmm.
2: in order to um, believe that coexistence is possible in order to believe that compassion and safety and respect um is possible i think that sometimes we overemphasize i'm going to i might sound funny saying this as a writer
3: mm-hmm.
2: um i think that sometimes we overemphasize empathy
3: mm-hmm.
2: i think empathy is really really important and i think empathy has its limits right. and when empathy meets its limit it's like what are we what kind of um human acknowledgement are we willing to offer one another even if i can't understand Right. a thing about where you're coming from, you know? And I, I, and I would say the same thing also, like the second thing I would say is I think it's really helpful to read widely and to learn about as many lives as possible. My partner, for example, just started reading um, Indonesian writers mm-hmm. and, you know, we've been together for like seven years. And like now he is saying, you make so much more sense now. to <laughs> You've been like kind of like a, you know, a Rubik's cube for a long time and I'm understanding so much more. And that I think is really helpful and even with that he probably can't understand all the things. You're under someone I live with. Um and the reality is just there there has to be a commitment to not understanding to so like uh being able to walk in respect with mystery.
0: Mm-hmm. And part so of the lesson that's les- what I would y- say. So part of the lesson there, Cynthia, is versus T V movies and the internet, books are still undefeated. Mm-hmm
2: books are undefeated still undefeated i I am because i think what books allow they push us they don't give us they don't give us all of the images Mm -hmm. like we have to build we have to participate i think as readers in a different way and i'm like a huge i like love television love it yes um But I think what books invite me to do that television does not is to like build off of my own understanding, is to push my own understanding, my own way of imagining the world. Because I have to at some point come back to the nerves that I have, the experiences that I have, the reference points that I have. Mm -hmm. Everything is not handed to me. And I have to rely sort of on myself to expand my um, world of representations inside of myself, so, in order to, you know, engage with the writing.
0: No, ex- I couldn't agree more. With that's why, that's why I still scream from the rooftops. Books are undefeated. Yeah. But
3: yes,
2: books are
0: undefeated. When when going back to Paige for a second, when she talked to you, on there was two two things that she said that sort of seemed it seemed like it was part of her alter ego maybe talking to you and part of herself and mm-hmm. part of the, the disciplined one when she said one part, she said she was mad in like her performance in Taekwondo when she lost, she was mad that she didn't trust her gut. Yeah. But then part of it was, she also said a little bit earlier that she was a little bewildered because she did everything her coach asked. So I guess yeah. my question is, is there a balance there? Is it possible? So Meaning, can you be McPherson and also be
2: coached? Ooh. That's a good question. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think at a... I think she, from my understanding, she was really upset because she felt... because she didn't listen to her boundary. Mm -hmm. So I think that when she was like, you know, we're ingesting things like all the time, right? Like how to do things. I I think as a writer, you know, every week you get like 10 tips on how to be a writer and how to succeed as a writer or like whatever. And, and I think she was basically, you know, checking off the list of like one through 10. And then there were some pieces that she really felt not okay with. And then she didn't listen to herself. She didn't negotiate with herself. She's like, I'm just going to trust I'm just going to do what I'm being told to do because I must be wrong. Right. If I feel uncomfortable with that, I must be wrong. Right. So I think, and and that's a struggle. I feel like that's something we are going to come back to over and over again, particularly as women, we are so conditioned to question and doubt ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. That like sometimes that feeling, it also doesn't just come from nowhere. It comes from all of the other experiences um, that have taught us, that have made us experts in particular things,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we are, and because those experiences don't have the same weight as, for example, an Olympic coach, right? We might not listen to it mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? Yeah, so I think sense. it is up also about. Um, giving other kinds of people in our lives and other kinds of experiences, the credit that's due to them, the authority that's due to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So it's, again, I, I would say it's a negotiation.
0: It's a negotiation. So where yeah. is, where is Paige at now? I mean, I mean not geographically, but you know, like mentally and professionally is like, has this journey and experience, like where is this left her?
2: From our last conversation, she is on the. She's just made the American team again,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, which is amazing. And um, she just texted me this morning. She's really excited about the article. I don't know where she is right now. If she has, um, she might have another tournament coming up really soon. And um, that was about a, a month ago when we were talking. And she had, um, she had just made the team, and she was really excited about that. That's great. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing really good and she's cooking. She's cooking a lot of amazing stuff. It shows up on her Instagram. So I know that's something she's doing a lot of also.
0: So my last question I have for you is what could a young girl right now out there struggling to find her way and where she should be, no matter how extreme her, you know, her situation was, whether it mirrors yours or, or pages, like what can she learn from you? Mulan and Paige McPherson.
2: You know, I I would say trust your anger
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, because I think, and the reason for that is not because I would ele- I elevate anger or you know think it's better than every. I don't. I think it's because we are constantly. Um, I think part of girlhood is part of the conditioning of girlhood makes us feel that our anger is wrong. Right, and that it is inappropriate, you know, to be upset when um, somebody mistreats you or when you are unjustly excluded for some from something, and that anger is actually a compass to um, knowing what is right and knowing what you're worth. Right, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't need a channel. It needs a channel. It, it needs obviously productive channels through which we can, you know, enact it so that it doesn't have a destructive impact, but that's what I would say. Actually, it's like trust your anger; is information.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, don't, so instead
2: of being like, "I'm going to tamp it down," listen to it. Right, like don't, don't just like.
0: Yeah, don't let anybody. Freak out don't let, on yeah. On it. Yeah, but don't let anyone <laughs> get in the way of your empowerment.
2: Yeah, don't do that, and don't <laughs> tamp it down. Like listen to it, take it as good information, take it as knowledge.
0: Well, that is. Uh, those are definitely words to live by, and. Knowledge uh, from what books still undefeated, Cynthia, even the last time we mentioned it.
2: Yes, books remain undefeated.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. This is uh, I hope everyone enjoyed your piece. I know I did. Um, You could check out more of this on uh, ESPNW and more of the essays involving these athletes and writers. Cynthia, once again, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Good luck to you all.
0: Thanks. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.